In his book, Evangelism, How the Whole Church Speaks of Jesus, Max Stiles says this, In my first book on evangelism, speaking of Jesus, I noted there are three areas in which we need to check ourselves in evangelism. Are we motivated? Are we equipped? Are we available? These three questions help to ensure that our hearts, minds, and feet, respectively, are ready to share the faith. I've found that there are two main categories of people who feel stymied in sharing their faith. The first is those who avoid sharing their faith because of fear. There are multiple things that they fear, not knowing what to say, being rejected, or making people feel awkward. The second category is people who are isolated from non-Christians. There's a variety of reasons for this isolation. Perhaps they have retreated into the warm Christian subculture, they find the lifestyles of unbelievers offensive, or they are, ironically, too busy with ministry. What I want us to do is walk through some of these ideas the next few weeks. Uh, he said there tends to be two categories of people, and he focuses mainly on those who are not equipped or who are not available. But I do think that we periodically need to ask ourselves, am I motivated? Because I can sort of in the back of my head say, I ought to tell people about Jesus, but if I'm not really and truly motivated to the extent that I actually do it, there's still something lacking in my motivation. And so that's what I want us to look at the first week is this question of motivation. Next week, what I want us to look at is some of these fears, uh, points of pride, because those two things can be related, right? I don't want to say this to this person because I don't know what to say, but what sometimes stands behind that? It'll make me look bad. I don't want to say this to this person because it will offend them, there's an element of saying, I know better than what God has said, because God said this is the only way of salvation, but, but maybe I can finagle it a little bit and make it more appealing. There's a point of pride there as well. And so fear and pride and some other things are kind of wrapped up there. So we'll talk through some of those things next week. And then the third week, what I want us to do is to, uh, and I know people are not thrilled about this idea, I'm not necessarily going to pick on those of you who wouldn't necessarily like to get up in front of people. But for those of you who are more comfortable talking in front of a crowd, I think I can probably call on you to come up and we can sort of walk through what a scenario might look like with some of these different things. Someone who rejects what you say, someone who asks you an off-the-wall question, someone who um, feels awkward and makes you feel awkward for having approached them about things. And, you know, I was talking with Kelly about this, and she's like, are you sure you want to do that? And I said, the reality is, if we can't do it here with each other, it's going to be hard for us to do it with other people. And I know there's the whole thing of, well, other people, we don't have to maybe ever see them again, so there's that part of it, and we have to see people at church the next week. But still hopefully we would recognize that people at church would have our best interest in walking through some of these sorts of scenarios. And so I think that that would be helpful as, uh, as practicing. Uh, one other thing that I want to point out, what I'm trying to prep us to do in a few weeks from now is not technically evangelism. I think that's an important distinction. If I give someone one of the church invites... I've got a bunch in my wallet. I try to give them out regularly. That's not technically evangelism. It's laying the ground for evangelism. It's creating a point of contact. But it's not evangelism itself. Evangelism is giving the gospel message. 
it's good to invite people to church. But sometimes we invite people to church because we want whoever is speaking to sort of uh, pick it up, things up and run with it so that we don't have to. And I'm not saying that's the case in every instance. Sometimes you're genuinely trying to share the gospel with that person. You say, you know what, maybe they're going to hear it in a slightly different way and that would be helpful. And so I'm not at all saying don't invite people to church. I'm just saying getting someone in the door is not the same as having them trust Christ. And I think we all realize that, but I just wanted to lay that out for us again. Secondly, uh, maybe it's not inviting someone to church. Maybe it's inviting someone to a church type event. So, for example, last year we did the plant swap. That was an event in the church, but it wasn't really like a church evangelistic kind of event. There wasn't like a gospel message presentation in it. Uh, one of the differences between that and what we're trying to do this fall is that in the expeditions program, there is a very clear gospel message laid out. That's one of the things the kids have to complete their first week, like homework assignment, is sort of walk through a gospel track. Do you know Jesus? You know, those sorts of things. And so there is an element of the gospel there, but if they don't come, we're inviting them to something, and that's good, but we're still not actually giving the gospel. And the third thing is, sometimes we think, well, if I give someone a track, that's giving them the gospel. And it is in a sense... But if they take that tract and throw it away the minute that you walk away, they haven't received the gospel. So what does actually giving the gospel look like? It could be taking a few extra minutes and walking someone through that tract. It could be they come to a church service and you say, what did you think of the message? And uh, are you believing the things that we talked about from the passage? Some, something like that. And then try to tie it to, do you know Jesus? Uh, it could be, uh, you know what, maybe you have some questions about things in life. Let's sort of walk through some things in the Bible for a few weeks and do kind of an evangelistic Bible study. People do these with the book of Mark or the book of John. It's an easy connection point to tell people about the gospel. And that's the long-term goal. What I feel like we can do in these next few weeks is ironically prep for both. Because the skill set you need to talk to people and hand them a tract or a church invite or come to this church event is some of the same tools that you use to say, hey, do you know Jesus? It's just asking additional questions. It's just stretching the conversation a little bit longer. And so I feel that it's profitable for us to do that even if we don't, in every case, get to the point of actually presenting the gospel. I think it's important for us to recognize you could knock on somebody's door and there could be an opportunity to share the gospel. And so, you know, if there's a street and there's 20 houses and you get stopped on the first one and you have a conversation for an hour, that's fine. We can go out again Wednesday. We can go out again another night that week. That may be what God wants to happen in that moment. And so there's that balance there. And if you have a string of houses where you give out invites and no one answers the door or whatever else and you get to the end of the street and you're like, these 20 houses, I didn't have that opportunity. God's sovereign and maybe we'll have it the next time that we go out. And so we just have to keep all of these different factors in mind. Um, I, uh, one other thing I, I think I want to stress is that the primary work of evangelism is done by us during the week. We try to present the gospel on Sundays and Wednesdays and when we gather... But the primary work of evangelism is really comes down to, I'm one person. Even if all of you bring all of your friends to church and they all hear the gospel message there, there's a whole lot of other people that don't come to the church with you that you see on a regular basis that I may never cross paths with, 
So part of this is me trying to do my job to say, are you ready to do the ministry God wants you to do? Not just, are you going to bring them here so I can help you with that, although I'm glad to do that. This is something that if it's going to be successful, if it's going to be, multiply, it's something we've got to each be doing and, uh, and spreading f out from there. So, our motivation for ministry. Two passages. The first one is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Start in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So as we look at this passage, Paul seems to be focusing on two things. One thing is the idea of authority, and the other thing is the idea of urgency. So with regard to authority, we have to ask ourselves, whose message is it? Verse 18, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are ambassadors as though God were making an appeal through us. So when you and I speak the gospel to people who need to hear it, it is not our message, it is not our authority, it is God's. And so sometimes people will say, well, that's an arrogant thing for you to claim that you have the corner on the truth, for you to say that I need to believe this thing that I don't believe right now. God's the one who is through us giving that message. It's not something we made up. If it was, you know, buy this brand of ice cream, I really like it. That's not a very authoritative message. It might be persuasive for some of us, but it's not super authoritative. Yes? I heard a great saying the other day, it's only arrogant and not true. True. And I suppose we could present the truth in an arrogant way, but... But, but I'm saying for the guy right. specifically. Sure, exactly. Yeah. And it is true, and it is from God. And so, if our authority comes from God, how should we evangelize? I'm just going to go through this part quickly, because we've gone through this passage before sometime last fall. First of all, we can be bold. It's not my message, but it's God's. If it's my message, there's always that degree of being hesitant, that degree of, what if I'm wrong, or that degree of, um, maybe this isn't the right time. But it's God's message. He wants us to speak it. We can be bold. Secondly, we must be clear. If someone in authority over me 
assigns me a, a task to relay information to someone else, I have a responsibility to do that well. If the president says to the ambassador who's located in some foreign country, this is the message you need to communicate to their government, he can't say, you know what, I want to adjust it a little bit. I'm going to add this phrase in, I'm going to drop this phrase out. To be clear, when it comes to the gospel message, there are different starting points. So, for example, if you have someone who is of a Jewish background and they already believe in one God, who's the God that's described in the Bible, you can probably assume some knowledge that the person who has no Christian background needs a whole lot more leading up to that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is we can't say God says you need to trust in Christ because you're a sinner and we say, you know what, you're not really a sinner, you're just a great person who's made some missteps. We can't change the gospel message in that way. We can't change the gospel message and say, you know what, the gospel message will be something that is going to fix everything in your life. God wants you to live your best life now. God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be healthy and happy. And I can't think of another age that would be appropriate. That's not the gospel message. What is the gospel message? Verse 21. He, God, made him Christ, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. People are sinners. Someone had to pay for that sin. Jesus did. God carried this out. He's the only way. All of these ideas are wrapped up in this verse, so it comes down to, are we going to present that message and only that message, or are we going to present something else? So we need to be bold. We need to be clear with that message. And we need to have a sense of urgency. Paul says, this is authoritative. This is from God. Speak it as though it's from God, as though God were making an appeal through us. But what else does he say? He says, in verse 11, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. And, and sometimes people have looked at what Paul has said and were like, Paul didn't want persuasive arguments, and, and Paul wanted it to be just the plain gospel truth, and so then we're like, well, let's make it as, as uninteresting as possible. Let's make it as, as dry and strictly fact-based as possible and strip all emotion out of it. That's not the point either. Paul sought to persuade people in Romans 10, which we're going to look at in a moment. He said, it's my heart's desire and prayer for Israel that they might be saved. Set that in the context of these are the people who are constantly trying to kill you, Paul. And you love them enough to say, God, save these people. And so we need a heart of compassion that is tied in with an urgency and a sense that this is not, you know, did the Tigers win? I think they've won one of their last however many games. Maybe a couple. I haven't tracked all of them. You know, that's an interesting thing to talk about, but that's not a life-changing thing. If it's a life-changing thing, then your priorities are, are misplaced. But 
whether or not you know Christ, this, that person that you're talking to could have a heart attack, be in a car accident, some other thing come up, and their life is done briefly after you talk to them. And so we have a sense that looking at someone from the outside, I got a lot of opportunities to talk to this person. And we should plan as though we are going to talk to that person through a number of opportunities. We should also recognize the reality that life is uncertain. We don't know how long we have. And so there should be a sense of urgency in giving the gospel. Authority and urgency. All right, turn over to Romans chapter 10. Second Corinthians 5 says, the message is authoritative and the message is urgent. Romans chapter 10 is kind of the Nike passage with regard to giving the gospel. What do I mean by that? Do it. And Paul develops it in a little bit more... Poetic's not the right word. He has a logical argument that he progresses through. So he says here, the familiar passages about what salvation looks like. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart God raised him from the dead and you will be saved in verse 9. Explains it in verse 10. I want to focus on verses 11 down through 17. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what does he start out saying? If you believe in him, you will not be disappointed or not be ashamed. God's not going to say no if you believe in him. And then verses 12 and 13, it doesn't matter your background, ethnic or otherwise, that's borne out in other passages in the scripture, if you call on the Lord, regardless of who you are, he will save you. So that's sort of the, the, the backdrop of what Paul's going to say next. He starts asking a series of questions that sort of back up to that point of belief. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Think about this from the perspective of the Old Testament. We looked at this in uh, the end of Genesis chapter 5. It talks about at that time men began to call in the name of the Lord, right? So men began to call on the name of the Lord. Why? Because they believed in God. So you don't believe in God, you're not going to call on Him. And then verse 14 continues, How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? If you don't know about God, you're not going to believe in Him, you're not going to call on Him. And how will they hear without a preacher? So if you're going to call on Him, you have to have believed on Him. If you're going to believe on Him, you have to have heard the message. If you're going to hear the message, someone has to speak it to you. Why is that? Why is creation and conscience insufficient? Because everybody has access to those things. Why is that not enough for someone to believe? What is lacking in the testimony of creation and conscience? Jesus. Uh, sorry, do, do you have something else to add? 
Okay. Right. Yeah, if we've suppressed the voice of our conscience with regard to sin, we have to have an awareness of our sin and who we're going to trust in. And, you know, as beautiful as nature is and as much as it cries out in testimony to who God is, the gospel message is not written in the clouds and the trees and the grass. It's written in the Word of God and the Bible. And so we know the Word of God who is Christ through the written Word, which is the Scripture. And someone has to speak it. And then verse 15 says, How will they preach unless they are sent? And then it talks about the blessing of being those who bring good news of good things. And then verse 16 through 21 talks about how not everyone believes, even though they hear the message. But I want to highlight verse 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing from or by the word of Christ. So think about this progression. People need to call in the name of the Lord. They're not going to call unless they've believed. They're not going to believe unless they've heard. They're not going to hear unless someone speaks it to them. The person is not going to speak unless they've been sent. Which raises the question, have we been sent or commissioned? I think 2 Corinthians 5 says we owe our, our, our all to God. I think Matthew 28 would indicate that the church collectively has the responsibility to make disciples by bearing the gospel message. And some people get around this by saying, well, yeah, but as long as some people in the church are doing this, that's good enough. But I don't think, and, and so here's the tension. Sometimes people feel guilty because they're not sharing the gospel as much as some other person in the church. And we have reasons for that. We'll look at some of the excuses next week. But some of the maybe legitimate reasons or factors or things that kind of sitting there in the back of our minds, I'm just not an outgoing person. That's probably true. Some of us are not outgoing people. I'm just really uncomfortable doing this. And that may well be true also. But when we set alongside this passage, the passage in 2 Corinthians 5, the authority is from God. So does the confidence need to be in my ability to speak well? No. If the urgency lies in the fact that people need to hear this message and God has given it to us, which has a higher priority, my comfort or obedience to God with regard to presenting the message? And as we look at this, we could say, you know, a bunch of other people in the church are sharing the gospel. And that may well be true. But are they sharing the gospel with your neighbors, your family, your co-workers, the people that you encounter in a typical week as you go to the places that you often go? No. And so I think Although it's not directly applicable, I think it does have application here. It's not the main point that Jesus was making. But when Jesus said in the parable of the Good Samaritan, who's my neighbor? It's the person that you cross paths with. I think that factors in as well to this whole discussion. And so again, I'm not trying to um, 
I'm not trying to guilt anybody, but I am trying to say these things. Are you presenting God's message? And this is going to sound strange from someone who believes in God's sovereignty and talks a lot about it. If people won't hear unless someone tells them, is your lack of telling them the reason they're not saved? And here's the point at which a right understanding of God's sovereignty intersects with the subject of evangelism. There's a fellow named Andrew Fuller who lived in the 1700s. He wrote a, I guess you'd call it a book. And the title of it was The Gospel Worthy of All Acceptation. And then there was a whole bunch of other words after that. What was his point? In that book, he was saying this. God saves people, and only God saves people, and you can't save people. But God has appointed means that are steps in that process of salvation, and He's commissioned us as the ones who go out and spread the message. God could have picked angels. God could have made it so that volcanoes erupt and inflaming letters in the sky believe on Jesus. But God does not do that. God has commissioned His people to go and take the message. So if God has commissioned us to take the message, and if that's the means that God has appointed, then it's not resting in God's sovereignty to say, I'm not going to do it, God will take care of it. It's sort of like the scenario of Esther where Mordecai says, yeah, God can use somebody else, but then he's not using you and you're not obeying him. Same kind of scenario here. We have a responsibility to take the gospel message to people because that is the means that God has appointed and that is what God has called his people to do. So everyone has a responsibility to, say, to share the message. So what does that have to do with going out and inviting people to a kids program on Wednesday nights? If the kids that we invite come, they should hear the gospel message. If their parents decide to join us in the auditorium, they should hear the gospel message. If we begin to get to know them, we will have further opportunities to share with them the gospel message. So even if, like I said, you go down and you just pass out church invites and it doesn't turn into an extended gospel conversation, we're laying groundwork. And having done that collectively as a group maybe makes it a little bit easier the next time to say, I can do this on my own. And... It also helps us to remember that we're doing this all together. So you have a friend that's an unbeliever and you want them to come to church. We can pray for them on Wednesday nights. You bring them to church and they'll say that there are other people who are also concerned about them. They don't come to church. You can say there are people who are praying for you to trust Christ. This is something that we're doing together, and I think going out together is an opportunity for us to be reminded of that and to together make an effort as a church to say, you know what, if I lived three houses down, I'd see that person. I could talk with them because they're my neighbor and we're just crossing paths in a normal course of the day. I don't live there. You don't live there. So how are we going to connect with these people right around where we gather as a church. The church is not the building, but I think there is some sense of obligation along the lines of what I said about Jesus and the Good Samaritan. These people are our neighbors, at least on Sundays and at least on Wednesdays and at least on work days and whatever else, because they're right around us. 
So what are we going to do to connect with them? And this is certainly not the only way. Going and knocking on someone's door is, someone's door is probably one of the most nerve-wracking things that you can do if you're not in the habit of doing it regularly. And so if you have other ideas for connecting with the people right around here, I'm happy to hear them. But um, I feel like this is something that would be good for us to do as a church, not every week, um, not when it's dark outside and people are like, why are these people interrupting my supper and, and you know all those sorts of things. But at least once a year, do something to connect with the people right around our church. Invite them to participate in some of the things that we're doing. Look for opportunities to share the gospel with them. And seek to have our, our hearts stirred in such a way that the motivation is not just, I should do this in a general sense, but I should do this this month. I should do this this week. I should do this today. And so that's why I think, how I think all these different things fit together, both the going out to invite people to expeditions and the being constantly aware that we have this responsibility to share the gospel message. And you may be doing this well. So I'm not trying to say no one's doing it. But what can happen is we get busy. We have a lot of things going on. We have to say, you know what? I could get a lot more done if I go inside right now and I don't go talk to my neighbor. Talk to your neighbor. I would rather go home right away because I'm tired. But my coworker just unloaded this heart-riching situation on me, and if I take an extra five minutes, I can point him to Jesus. Take that five minutes. Wives, be patient with your husbands. Husbands, be patient with your wives. You know, recognize that sometimes those things take priority over the things that we feel like doing or the things that we think are sometimes important. I'm not saying always neglect your family. I'm not saying, you know, all of those sorts of things. But I am saying sometimes we don't intentionally create opportunities and prioritize something that God has called us to do. So are we motivated by the fact that God has given us an authoritative message, an urgent message, a message that is not going to go out unless we speak it. So speak the message, speak it boldly, and speak it regularly because the people around you need to hear it. Let's pray. Lord, as I was preparing for this, I was convicted about the fact that I've gotten pretty good at inviting people to church and some of those sorts of conversations and there's a lot of times when I'm not taking the next step. I talked to the guy who goes to a tabernacle and, or a synagogue and meet him at the hospital and say, you know, just seemed like he was trusting in works. I should have said more about who Jesus is and how works don't save us. When we meet people who um, you invite them to church and their face lights up that someone cared enough about them to say, hey, we want you to participate in this thing. Again, it's easy to let that opportunity fall to the ground. Lord, I'm sure that's not just my experience. Sometimes we short-circuit this process because we're in a hurry or because we're uh, fearful or because 
We don't want to look like the weird religious freak that's bothering people. Lord, the world's going to find us strange no matter how hard we try. Perfect love casts out fear. And sometimes we just need to slow down and say, you've given me this opportunity. Help me to take it. Lord, I pray that you would bless us this week as we consider these things, these, these motivations, not guilt, not a sense of, I've got to do this, I'm just going to do it because I have to do it, but a sense of, God, you have saved me. Christ, you have worked on the cross. Holy Spirit, you have given me new life. Why would I not want to tell other people about that? Why would I not want to serve faithfully? Not that I can repay what I owe, but I can express gratitude and obedience to the things that you have commanded us to do. Lord, we pray these things as we go into our prayer time. Help us to have this burden on our hearts this week. In Christ's name, amen.